here's your opportunity to listen and learn from the most successful people driving growth and success in Palm Beach County and beyond. Welcome to the Business in Paradise Palm Beach podcast with Carrie Stamp, founder of Carrie Stamp and Company, Principled Wealth Advisors. Carrie and his guests share stories and insights from Palm Beach County's most successful executives, entrepreneurs, and community leaders. Learn how they made it to where they are today, what principles guide them, how they mentor others to achieve success, and more. Hello and welcome to our inaugural Business in Paradise podcast with Carrie Stamp. Today is the opportunity for me to ask Carrie some questions and have you get to know who he is a little bit better, not just where he is personally, but also professionally and his journey. Carrie, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. I love this first question because it really tells a lot about your journey, which is why did you decide to work in the financial services industry? What is the story? And Matt, you know, I don't know that I actually decided to work in the financial services industry. I think ironically, it kind of chose me. Hmm. So I was going to school at the University of Iowa. I was on a scholarship for debate, which we can talk a little bit more about later. And I'd always thought that I was going to be a lawyer. I wanted to go to law school and become a mergers and acquisitions lawyer. I had just read Michael Lewis's book, Liar's Poker. I thought all of the things that people were doing in Wall Street was absolutely fascinating. And I wanted to live in that world. But I didn't have the money to go to law school. I left the University of Iowa. I went back to Des Moines. And I called every stock brokerage firm in town to try to get a job as a 22-year-old. I got a job at a brokerage firm in Des Moines. The fourth time that I cold called the manager and told him that he really needed to hire me. And uh, the rest is kind of history. That was 30 years ago in 1990. Uh, I worked for a phenomenal firm in Des Moines called Piper Jaffray and was very fortunate to, to learn the business in a great culture and a great environment. All right, Carrie, I just heard you say that you wanted to work there enough where you cold called the manager? That's not normal. No, it's it's not. But I knew that I was 22 years old and that if I wanted to get a job as a stockbroker in one of these firms, that I was going to have to do something that was truly extraordinary. And I knew that the traditional approach probably wasn't going to do the trick. So I actually cold called pretty much every branch manager of a brokerage firm in Des Moines, Iowa. And what I did was, is I first identified the place that I wanted to work. And then as a 22 year old, I went to four other firms, which I knew were places that I didn't necessarily want to work. And I did practice interviews with the managers in those offices. And I kind of figured out what answers they wanted to hear just by simply sitting back and asking them, well, I don't really know the answer to that question. What do you think it should be? And they all wanted to tell me. So by the time I got to the firm that I wanted to talk to, which was Piper Jaffrey with a great guy named Bob Westland, who was a manager of that office, he said, Carrie, we'd love to hire you, but you need to go sell something for about three or four years and then come back here with some experience of, of dealing with people and we'll give you a job. I said, Bob, that's a great idea, but that's really not what I plan to do. I'm going to be a stockbroker and I'd like to do it here. And I'm offering you this opportunity that I think is uh, going to be a once in a lifetime opportunity to be able to work with me. Now, I'm, you got to 
picture this. I'm 22 years old, <laughs> like the age my daughter is now. And I'm telling you guy this, I barely even shave. And he says, listen, you're, you're a nice kid, but go away. I sent him a letter the next week. I said, Bob, thanks for the time last week. I'll be in touch with you shortly. I called him the next week. I said, Bob, I'm giving you the opportunity to reconsider. And he said, <laughs> I'm still in the same place, Carrie. And I said, I'll tell you what, next week I'm going to call you uh, because I really don't want you to miss out on this one. This is absolutely, I'm the guy that you should, you should be hiring. Called him the next week. He said, listen, the regional manager is coming down. Stop bothering me, but you can come in and talk to him. And if he likes you, we'll consider doing something for you. So I came in, I met with the regional manager, sat down. Uh, his name was Andy. I said, so, um, Mr. D, uh, I said, what do you think it takes to be successful in this business? And he says, well, first, you have to have really good intuitive people skills. That's, a, that's just a given. But I will tell you that gray hair and whiskers also help a lot. And he looked at me, and I didn't have either one of those things. And I knew this thing was probably going to go sideways. So I didn't hear from these guys for a little while. And then finally, I called the guy, called Bob back, and I said, Bob, listen, I want you to know the opportunity is still available. Uh, for us to work together. And he says, are you going to stop calling me? I said, no, I'm not going to stop calling you until uh, you make the right decision. He said, okay, I give up. <laughs> you start next Monday. I'm going to give you $1,500 a month and a telephone book. And you're going to have to learn the business. We'll teach you uh, how to be a good advisor, a good stock picker, a good stockbroker. But uh, you're going to have to develop clients, and that's going to be tough as a 22-year-old. So you're going to have to come up with your own strategy. What was the strategy? I mean, how? Because how, look at for those of you, this is the inaugural podcast. We're going to get into the success aspect of what what what's gone on with with Carrie. But you're really successful now. You are a top advisor. You obviously nailed it, and you hit it out of the park. Keep going with the story. I mean, how, how did you find the clients at 22? Well, I knew that uh, people were not going to buy a 22-year-old guy giving them investment advice on their life story. So I had to find something that they wanted and be able to deliver it to them, deliver it directly to them in a way that nobody else was doing it. There were a lot of other stockbrokers that were uh, cold calling. And usually they were cold calling on stocks or they were cold calling in the city and they were calling all the rich neighborhoods in the suburbs where I lived. I decided I was going to pick a town halfway between Des Moines and Iowa City, Iowa. And the town that I happened to pick was called Brooklyn, Iowa. I had a girlfriend in Iowa City at the time, and I was driving back and forth all the time. Now, Brooklyn is not known for anything in particular except a truck stop at the end of the road, a lot of farmers, and uh, some really nice people. So one of the first people that I met when I went to Brooklyn, and I went out just to, to cold walk the town. And I literally walked up and down the main street, knocked on every door. And I said, I'm Kerry Stamp. I'm with Piper Jaffrey. I'm a stockbroker. And I want you to know that I am the stockbroker of Brooklyn. And I'm going to be here every Wednesday. And every Wednesday, I'm going to drive from uh, Des Moines to Brooklyn. I'm going to uh, stay here. And anybody that wants to talk to me, I'm going to be available. I'd hang around the diner. I'd hang around the bank. I'd just try to uh, meet people around the town so that they would realize who I was. Then the next thing I did was, I found a company that they all knew, and it happened to be the Maytag Corporation, which was in Newton, Iowa. And I picked up the phone book for uh, Brooklyn, and I just started calling people. 
and saying, hey, uh, do you guys know that Maytag Corporation has some corporate bonds that are available? And they're paying 8.75% with a five-year maturity. You can lock that in for five years. And I know your CDs are only paying about 6% right now. Right now, I only have $100,000 worth of these Maytag bonds available. Would you have some extra funds that uh, you would like to uh, earn a high rate of return with on Maytag bonds? And I, the first uh, year, I sold the heck out of Maytag bonds. It was, uh, it was quite an experience, but I was selling something that they already knew from a guy that was too young to be uh, giving anybody advice on something. But everybody in Iowa knew Maytag wasn't going out of business. So that was the strategy. And uh, I just hit it really hard. And I, I was very fortunate. I ran into a really nice guy in that town who ran the telephone company. Iowa had rural cooperative telephone companies. His name was Bill Kelly. And Bill said to me, uh, I walked into the door to the office and I knocked on that door. I said, introduce myself, gave him the pitch. And he said, listen, Kerry, I want to bring you back here to this back room. And he brings me in the back room. There's a switch for uh, telephones and a bunch of uh, computer equipment. He says, look, anytime you want to meet with somebody here in Brooklyn, you're welcome to use this room. I know you don't have an office here, but if you want to meet with somebody in private, you can use our room back here. And by the way, we're even going to let you subscribe to the uh, Brooklyn Telephone Company. And it was 20 bucks. Jeez, I think it might have been less than 20 bucks a month. And I got my own phone number that was uh, a Brooklyn telephone number. And the thing about the phone company is that it's a cooperative and at the end of the year, I basically got a check back for all of the money that I paid for my phone service as a quote unquote dividend from the phone company. So it was just working with nice people, having catching a few breaks and being wi willing to accept rejection at a time in my life when I had nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. I was 22. I just wanted people to acknowledge that I was, uh, that, that I was there mm -hmm. and that maybe I could bring some information to the party. Wow. I know you don't acquire clients that way now. Let, let's talk about that. How do you, in this paradise that you live in, how do you acquire new clients today? Matt, 90% of the people that uh, come through our doors are uh, referred by either current clients or their, their other professionals. So they might come from a trusted estate lawyer. They might come from a uh, CPA. They might, in some cases, come from their uh, insurance brokerage firm the vast majority come from the people that we're working with right now that think that we uh, have done a good job for them. We also uh, do some specific target marketing to a few groups, people that we really like doing business with. And some of those areas would include things like home builders. We have a number of home builders that were the financial advisors for them and their family. Uh, we have quite a few retired corporate executives we have hedge fund families that uh, we work with that we're doing their investments, their estate planning and their, their financial planning, as well as their uh, life insurance and, and risk management planning. Those are the types of folks that over time we've gravitated towards working with, but we also have professionals from different areas. We have physicians, we have attorneys, and we have people that own all different types of businesses. It's really interesting. There's not one core group that I would say, this is uh, the client that we always work with. Honestly, it makes it more interesting mm -hmm. if you're not doing the exact same thing every single day. I've been doing this 30 years, so I can do a retirement plan rollover in my sleep, <laughs> but bring me something 
that's a little bit more meaty or complex, a family that has a business and some children that are in the business and some, some children that aren't in the business, and they want to do some multi-generational planning and really, really make life great for their kids and grandkids, those are the people that I feel like I can really have a huge impact with. With that right there, each of those people have that, that last thing that you said in common. So when you think about your ideal personality of a client, can you just say that in a, maybe a little bit more of an expansive way to describe to our listeners the type of person, not necessarily what they do for a living, but really what they look to you to do for them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Our clients are generally seeking someone that they can bounce ideas off of. I've heard the expression, and I like to use the expression, I've copied it, called thinking partner. So they want somebody that can give them some ideas. And usually they're highly successful people. They simply want somebody to be able to come to and say, Carrie, I'm thinking about doing this, or I have this challenge. Give me some options for how you would address it. One of my unique abilities is being able to solve very complex problems and break things down so that they can be simplified. And so a family that is willing to come in and say, we need some help, which is always the first step in every program, you have to admit you need some help. And someone that's a pretty good delegator that says, hey, here's, here's what we have. Take a look at everything that's uh, uh, all of these moving parts, the family business, the investments, the estate plan, all of these things. Work with our other professionals because everything that we do is collaborative. And somebody that uh, really wants to have a meaningful outcome and is a family-oriented philanthropic person. I also have the Chartered Advisor and Philanthropy designation uh, because that's incredibly important to me. And most of the families that we work with in one way or another are highly philanthropic. They want to make a difference in their community and they definitely want to make the world a better place for their children and their grandchildren. Those are the qualities that we look for gotcha. in our ideal clients. When it comes to educating these, these families that you work with, what sort of client education do you currently do? Well, so there's a couple of levels. The first is just a basic uh, level, and that's part of our onboarding process where we talk about what our philosophies are, how we go through the investment process that we have for our clients, how we go through the process where we're going to do some stress testing. So when you get into a difficult time, what do you need to be thinking about? What do you need to be doing? We constantly are providing our clients with information on what's going on in the world and how that's going to affect them and their business. And then the other thing that we're doing is that I am not only meeting with the parents or what we call the first generation of a family, but in many cases, we're doing educational programming for their children and their grandchildren. So for example, a typical family might set up what we would call a donor advised fund, which is a, a family charitable fund. And I'll suggest to the parents, and maybe the parents are in their 50s or 60s and their kids are in their 20s or 30s. I will suggest to the parents, this is a great way for your kids to learn about investing and about philanthropy. So I want you to do two things. Number one, I want you to give the kids some level of investment control over the money that's in the charitable foundation. And me and my team will work with the kids to educate them about how to invest some money. And we'll also even let the kids make some picks or some stock selections if they wanna put something in the portfolio. 
so that they get interested in what's going on. And in some ways, we want them to collaborate, but it's also kind of fun to have a little competition among the siblings to uh, see who can do the, do the best in picking stocks for the charitable portfolio. And then the second thing that we'll let the kids do is that we will let them make recommendations to their parents about how they believe that the charitable funds should be allocated, which organizations uh, should we allocate to? Every family comes up with a charitable mission statement. And when a child or a parent makes a recommendation for spending the family philanthropic money, the first question is, does this fit with the mission statement of the family? And so we focus on the areas that are most important to that family and get them to be able to make a meaningful impact in society by using uh, that type of a strategy. So we're educating them about investments, we're educating them about financial planning, and we're educating them uh, about philanthropy. Who's on your team? You can't do all of this by yourself, right, Carrie? Who's on your team? And uh, tell us a little bit about each of them, please. Wow. Um, so I've got a great team. And one thing we do for all of our clients is we send them an email, basically one every week that's called a meet the team so that they can learn about uh, all the different people. My right-hand man, uh, who's been with me for five years, and before that, he was my banker, is uh, Patrick Thompson. Patrick is the glue, keeps the place together. The clients love him way more than they like me. And if you need something done and you need to uh, know how to navigate the system, he's the guy that they call. My longtime assistant who manages my schedule is uh, Liz Bradley. Uh, Liz has been working for me for a little over three years. And basically her job is to keep the trains running and tell me uh, where I'm going to be and when I need to be there. I have a right hand and a left hand guy. Jack Shaney is in my uh, Stanford, Connecticut office. And Jack primarily works with our uh, retired corporate executives in the Connecticut market that we have up there. And then also with our relationship with the uh, hedge fund firm that we do a lot of planning and a lot of work for out of Westport, uh, Connecticut called Bridgewater Associates. Jack's an expert in uh, the retirement plan and, and the uh, benefit plans for Bridgewater. And I've been working with families there for uh, almost 15 years. Those are the key players on my team, but some other really important people in the office. Uh, Andrew Trammell is our paraplanner and basically director of financial planning. He puts all the spreadsheets together and does all of the analysis and projection and uh, financial planning components of the work that we do. So that when somebody comes into us and they bring us a box full of documents or upload a bunch of documents to us, Andrew takes it, decodes it, downloads it, and make sure that we understand exactly what that client's uh, financial picture looks like. All these people are in the office, uh, except for Jack down here in South Florida. And then I would also give a great shout out to my wife, Sharon, who uh, does very high level concierge type things for our clients. For some people, she's uh, taking care of, you know, just making sure mom's okay in the nursing home. And for other people, she is uh, doing things like sending birthday cards, birthday gifts, and then planning our corporate events. So I've got a great team here. And uh, Jack and uh, my other financial advisor in Connecticut, Frank Frances, are holding down the fort up there. What is your financial philosophy? As I've grown uh, in the business, my philosophy has evolved. When I first started at 22 and I told the story about wanting to uh, be a stockbroker, I truly wanted to be the next Warren Buffett or Peter Lynch. And it quickly came to me that 
even though I was pretty good at picking stocks and Piper Jaffrey had a pretty good research department that if I was going to be a stockbroker, I was going to win some and I was going to lose some. So I had to uh, shift that philosophy and say, do I want to be a stockbroker or an analyst or do I want to be somebody who can truly make a difference in people's lives by showing them how they can make money work in their favor? My financial philosophy evolved over the years, and it really came down to what I developed as my mission in life. And my mission in life is to help successful families, including my own, live lives of abundance, possibility, and adventure. And that's even the name of my daughter's trust. It's called the APA or the Abundance, Possibility, and Adventure Trust. And I've left money for her and for her children and whatever generations come beyond that to live lives where they can travel, where they can enjoy everything that the world has to offer, where they don't have to be limited by financial resources. They can look at all of the possibilities and they can travel. And also, most importantly, they can be educated. So anything that uh, is left in the APA trust for my family can be used for education expenses travel expenses, and essentially anything that has to do with adventure. My financial philosophy came full circle from, do I want to be a stock picker or do I want to be more of what we would call the wealth manager mode? And I eventually decided that I could have a much greater impact on a family if I could look at things holistically and break things down and solve their problems and create meaningful outcomes and solutions so that they can give their children and grandchildren uh, the same types of opportunities that uh, they've had in their lives. I also really bought into some of the work of an attorney named Jay Hughes. Jay's a fabulous estate planning attorney and wrote a book that uh, I think has radically impacted my life called Family Wealth, Keeping It in the Family. And in his book, he describes the idea that the first generation of a family often accumulates a fairly significant amount of wealth. The first generation that does accumulate a significant amount of wealth does so through hard work and toil. They usually come up and they, they don't have a lot as they're making this money, but their children start to live a fairly comfortable life and their children become comfortable and accustomed to having niceties in life. The wealth gets passed to the second generation. The second generation is used to living very well. And the third generation also becomes used to living very well, but because the motivation isn't as strong to continue to create wealth in the second, third generation, 90% of the time, by the time the third generation is gone, so is all of the money. And that's not just in the United States. That's all over the world. That if you don't train the children, if you don't uh, do things like we do, with the philanthropic planning and teaching the kids about money and also having the parents pass their values down to their children so that they understand how hard it was to accumulate the wealth that they created. And that just comes from stories and from sharing and from the parents being willing to be open and honest and vulnerable to their children. That has a huge impact on uh, the results that you get. So Matt, I often say that we prepare the money for the family, or we prepare the money for the children, but we don't prepare the children for the money. And so my philosophy is that if we can teach people 
about what the family values are and what's important, then integrate that into the work that we do as financial advisors, then the money can last many, many generations and so can the family values. That's where I think our value is. Switching gears from professionally, because you just talked about the trust that you have with your family. When you're not working, what do you do for fun? I try to play as many rounds of golf as I can in a year, which doesn't really amount to that many anymore. But I uh, love to have a Friday afternoon game and then usually a uh, Sunday morning game. That's one of my, my great passions has always been playing golf in, in uh, both Florida and, and literally all over the world. I belong to a few different golf clubs and I've been very fortunate to be able to play at some of the best places and go to some of the best tournaments uh, all over the world. I would say that I'm an opera buff. Most people don't know that, but uh, my close friends all think that I'm crazy, but I absolutely love to go to the Metropolitan Opera in New York. I go to almost every show at the uh, Palm Beach Opera. That's, that's truly one of the things. I, I have no other musical interests or talent. Uh, yeah, I like a little bit of classic rock, but I rarely listen to the radio. I'm usually listening to news or podcasts when I'm uh, in my car or on the radio. But if you let me listen to opera, I could pretty much sit there and listen to it all day long. I also love being outside. So we live in Florida. We're on the water and uh, we can get out on the water for an afternoon cruise on the boat or a weekend at the sandbar. And that's a ton of fun for us. And then lastly, as a family, our absolute love is to explore the world. Uh, my daughter is 20 years old. She's been to about 45 different countries. And uh, that's all been with uh, Sharon and I. And so every year, generally twice a year, we take a couple of big trips uh, to go see places in the world that uh, we've never seen before. Now, Sharon's kind of put her foot down lately. She's, she's not a great flyer. But I wanted to go to New Zealand this year. And she said, no, I'm not going to New Zealand. We were supposed to go to uh, Bali. And that uh, trip got canceled because of what's going on with COVID-19. We'll get her back out there. And uh, if she doesn't want to go, then Sarah and I will go. Africa is one of my favorite places. And uh, sometime in the very near future, I absolutely need to make another trip back because it's just so vast and, and overwhelming and such an amazing place. Who's your hero? Geez. Uh, so one of my longtime heroes, I had the pleasure of being able to meet within the last uh, seven or eight years because I, I was talking about my golf uh, background and I was kind of thinking of a guy who was uh, really, really gritty and could get himself out of a jam and also do it with panache and style. And that's Jack Nicholas. Jack lives right down here. Uh, his grandchildren went to school with my daughter. I would see Jack and Barbara at the, uh, the uh, lacrosse games, at the uh, Benjamin School, and at the football games. And after uh, getting to know the family and talking to Jack and just being around that family, it's absolutely amazing what he did uh, from a career standpoint in golf and what he has done from the standpoint of being a parent and a grandparent and the impact that the Nicholas families had on this community. I would give as much credit to Barbara as I do to Jack because she really, I think, drives that boat uh, when uh, we're talking about the philanthropic planning. They're just an absolutely genuinely nice family with uh, a great value set. 
When you think of the word success, how do you define success? What does it mean to you? So I'm trying to remember whose definition this was, but I totally latched onto it. Success is a progressive achievement of meaningful goals and that there's not one end in sight. So every year I sit down and I write goals and I say, okay, I want to do this. And I would say that if you were to pull out my goals from 10 years ago and pull out my goals for next year, my goals from 10 years ago, uh, whether they were financial goals or business goals or whatever, you would laugh. You would say, really? You only wanted to do that much business or you really only wanted to take one trip to go see the Bahamas uh, 10 years ago. I think that as we evolve, that our goals change. And so our definition of success has to continually evolve. I would also say that success has a lot to do with contentment and gratitude. And I think success is can be defined by feeling good about who you are, where you fit into the world, the impact that you're uh, making in the world, and what you're doing to give back uh, to the world. So one thing I didn't share earlier was that guy that I had uh, cold called four times, Matt, the uh, branch manager of Piper Jaffrey in Des Moines. Every year, I make a list of people that I need to show some uh, gratitude for them helping me uh, along my path, whether it's been in my life when I've had challenges or in my career uh, when I uh, was, was trying to advance myself. And so uh, as part of the process that I have with my clients in our family meetings, we do a gratitude list. And then we write letters to people that maybe we haven't even talked to in 15, 20, or 30 years and say, just wanted to tell you that what you did for me uh, was fantastic and it's had a meaningful and profound impact on my life. Three years ago, uh, during one of the uh, family meetings that I was having with the client, they were writing their letter and I said, I'm going to write some of mine. And I wrote a letter to Mr. Westland and sent it to him. And I said, you know, Bob, you had a uh, absolutely incredible impact on my life. You launched what I think has been a great career. And I just wanted to say thank you and uh, tell you how much that uh, that meant to me. And he got this letter from me. He hadn't seen me in 25 years, hadn't talked to me in 20 some years. And uh, he called me and he said, Carrie, you know, you go through life and you don't know who you've had an impact on and who you haven't had an impact on, but it's always great to hear back from somebody that you've helped set them on their way. And that just really, really made my day. He'd gone through a lot of uh, personal uh, challenges over the years. The wife that uh, he was married to when I knew him had passed away. His kids are, are, have grown now and they're great people. I was just glad that I could acknowledge what he'd done for me. And my definition of success is being able to feel good about who you are and help other people and acknowledge what they've done for us. Name one thing that you recommend most to clients, family, or friends. Now, this can be a TED Talk, a book, a piece of music, something like that. I think that the challenge of starting a business is incredibly tough. And for every person that I hear that's starting a new business, I like to send them the Michael Gerber book, The E-Myth. It's a really simple book. It's, it's truly amazing in its simplicity. And it simply talks about creating systems so that your business can run by itself and you don't always have to be there to run the business. 
Gerber's uh, philosophy is work on your business, not in your business. And so for all new business owners, I hear about, you know, usually they're just getting started. It might be an attorney that's launching his own firm. It might be the person that's building the local coffee shop in the community or whatever. If I find a new business owner, I love to send them the e-myth by Michael Gerber. Do you have a mantra or a motto that you say to yourself to keep yourself focused and on track? I do. And I think it really has to do with my Midwest roots. And that's do what you promised you would do. That's of our seven primary principles at Carry Stamp. That is the first of the primary principles. It's simply deliver. Do what you promised you would do. If you're not going to do what you uh, said you were going to do, then reset, explain what's going on, and change people's expectations. Because the worst thing that you can do is tell someone that you're going to do something and then just totally blow it off. There, there's nothing worse that a professional person can do to undermine trust in, especially in the person that's supposed to be managing your money. If they can't get back to you with some information or return your telephone call or just be there when you, when you need them to be there, then why should they pay you anything? to handle their money. Do what you promised that you would do. Last question. What's your proudest achievement? Well, aside from uh, having a great family and having a uh, great daughter, great wife, I would say that one of the things that happened to us a couple of years ago was uh, when the Palm Beach North Chamber of Commerce uh, named us the uh, Small Business of the Year. They did an absolutely amazing tribute. It's a great organization that's um, literally people doing business in paradise. As a result of uh, that honor or that award, our business has continued to grow. It's continued to expand. I've added jobs to the community. I've been able to share profits with uh, the employees. We've been able to do really cool things as a group. I think my proudest achievement is building this company and building it into a company that now has been recognized by the community that, that we serve is literally one of the best businesses uh, in the community. And with that, this is uh, the inaugural podcast. So there's going to be a lot more podcasts to come. Would you mind uh, just taking a minute and talking about what this podcast has to offer and really what you're going to be delivering through the Business in Paradise podcast? Matt, thanks. So I've had the good fortune of meeting some fantastic uh, people in Palm Beach County, some people that have started great businesses and some people that have uh, helped others in their journey establishing a business in Palm Beach County. So I am looking to find entrepreneurs who have truly added to the community, both by building a business, by adding to the philanthropic impact that we can have down here in Palm Beach, and that also, as much as I do, just love the place that we live. We, I truly believe, in, and Sharon will back me up on this, that we live in paradise down here in uh, Palm Beach. I'm looking for like-minded professionals that want to share their stories, that want to be mentors, and want other people to know why it's so important that we keep Palm Beach County the great place that it is. Well, looking forward to many, many podcasts to come. Thank you very much for allowing our listeners to get a, to know you a little bit better, Carrie. Matt, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, please make sure that you do that by clicking the subscribe now button below. And also, if you know somebody who really should get to know Carrie and what he does in paradise, please just click that share button. It's very, very, very easy. 
There'll be podcasts coming out on a regular basis with some great people in the community, and you can look forward to learning more about what it's like to have business in paradise. So for Carrie Stamp, we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thank you for listening to the Business in Paradise Palm Beach podcast with Carrie Stamp, founder of Carrie Stamp and Company, Principal Wealth Advisors. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the Commonwealth Financial Network. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Carrie Stamp and Company is located at 110 Bridge Road, Tequesta, Florida, 33469. Securities and advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor.